Welcome to the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason and Rachel Wagner. We are husband and wife and dedicated to bring you conversations that revolve around real estate, entrepreneurship, personal development, relationships, politics, and just regular conversations that come across the dinner table. We will share with you actual stories of relatable people with hopes to inspire you to invest in becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for being here and welcome to the show. All right, welcome back to the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason and Rachel Wagner. This is another version of the Wagner Report, which is a solo session with just me. These are shorter sessions talking about whatever I want to talk about. Um, Today's a good one going into midterm rentals and my experience with them. So I have a kind of a brief experiment going on with the midterm rental space. And I just want to share with you my experience and how everything has been going so far. And here's where I am going to make the debate that the midterm rentals and exploring them right now in a high interest rate environment is actually going to be a really good opportunity for folks. Because the reality is, is that purchasing real estate right now is is difficult. It's hard to make deals work as you go to underwrite them, you know, just because the cost of money is so high. What is a way that if you're a cash flow investor that's that I would place myself into, somebody that's trying to seek, you know, a, a vehicle where you can put some money into it, maybe buy a piece of property uh, with a lower down payment. And how can you get a return on that money through the advantages of real estate, which is market appreciation, principal pay down, tax benefits. But then also, how do you also make that property cash flow? And the cash flow part of it is is mostly what we seek, right? And then the all the other components of it, the appreciation, pay down, and the tax benefits, those are really like the the add-ons that come with it. And everybody's always kind of seeking that that cash flow part. And when you have high cost of money environments that we're in, where rates are between 7 and 8% or higher, it's really hard to, to make deals work. So I went and you start to look at what your current portfolio is. And um, we have a mix of 14 units where we have a single family home, we have a condo we rent out, um, and then we have these uh, two to four unit buildings that are made up of apartment units. And so I recently had a vacancy happen where my tenant that was down in a garden unit of an apartment that I have in uh, Portage Park, Chicago, uh, she moved out after living there for three years. And it's a nice garden unit. And when I say that, it's like it's got granite countertops. It was updated probably within like the last five to seven years-ish. And so it's in pretty good shape. Gray walls, white trim, decent amount of space. But it is. It's it's a garden unit, right? And, and it's a garden unit in a 1920s building. And the people above her you know they have kids and they and they run around and it's and it's loud it's loud in the garden unit there's not much insulation in between the floors i actually went through a project of tearing down the ceiling and putting insulation in between the floors to kind of make it a little bit uh more noise proof but still it's loud down there anyways so i figured you know here's an opportunity where maybe i could reposition this unit instead of getting the 1600 bucks that we were getting for that apartment lease Maybe we could get a little bit more by positioning into this midterm rental space. And if you're not familiar with midterm rental spaces, it's really it's for anybody that's really looking for housing um, that would be furnished, and they want to sign a lease that's anywhere between 30 days to six months, nine months, or anything in between. And that's what we call a midterm rental space. And and you don't have to go through the hoops of having this as a short-term rental, meaning the licensing, um, especially in the city of Chicago where you need a short-term rental license. And it's technically not 
a uh, a short term. It's it's midterm, so you have a, a tenant that's there for an extended period of time, more than thirty days. And so we position this this unit as the midterm space. And you use websites like FurnishFinder.com, which is really a target for traveling nurses and other maybe other traveling professionals uh, that are on that site, but mostly traveling nurses that are that use FurnishFinder. And then you could use Airbnb. Airbnb has a long-term, you know, for stay for anybody that's looking for for longer than thirty days. And so you could put the the property out on those two websites. And that does kind of satisfy the demand and it gives you an option to be exposed. And so what we basically did was that after we did the turnover from the last tenant, we furnished the property. We probably spent about, let's see, I bought some furniture from the tenant before she moved out. She was moving back to Iowa. And so I said, hey, you've got some cool things. Can I just you know, can I buy the, you know, some of the furniture from, from you? My, I think I spent about $800 to buy a futon, a desk, a bed, a dresser, another like shelf, a couple other shelves from her and a TV entertainment stand. And like, it was all great. Like that was, in my opinion, that was a great deal. And I didn't have to buy all that extra furniture. Now we still had to pay a little bit more to furnish. The rest of it is two bedrooms. So we did need two beds in there. And so basically, we, we probably spent anywhere between like three to $5,000 just to finish the furnishings there. So it took us between doing the unit turnover and then the furnishings it took us about a month. So we had about a month of vacancy occur between the long-term tenant staying and then getting somebody to, to sign up for the midterm. And believe it or not, within 48 hours of me putting the unit up on Furnish Finder, I was able to get a traveling medical professional to inquire and come in and sign a two-month lease within 48 hours of me initially posting it. And she moved in within 48 hours of me posting it, which was incredible. Now, I kind of think that that was a little bit of a fluke because of just how quickly that all transpired. And and you're probably wondering, well, hey, you know, how do you like uh, screen these people? And, you know, is it the same way as like regular long-term tenants? And I would say yes. Uh, so it is the same way. And so through the Furnish Finder, website, I directed her to my application in which I have an application that's out on my Greystone Realty website that costs $65 per head just to fill it out. So it pulls her credit, pulls her her background, and I can see all the all the good detail. Now, knowing that this is shorter term lease, I don't necessarily have like very strict requirements, meaning like, hey, you need to make three times the rent amount in order to afford the unit. I don't necessarily like I didn't necessarily care as much because this was one of my first tenant going through there and I and I basically I just approved her. She actually didn't have the credit score that I was looking for, but again, we were only signing a 2-month lease. So if we were going to have an issue, you can really like get rid of her as <laughs> within within 2 months, right? Unless there's, you know, squats and like you have to go through an eviction process. But being a short term, I can I can kind of take a little bit more of a risk. So I did accept her and she had a a much lower credit score than what I would normally accept. But again, my first time doing it and, you know, she paid, she paid the first month. The second month, she did pay. It took a little bit longer to get it. She was almost late, but uh, I did up getting the payment. And and everything really did work out relatively fine with that first tenant. So then she moved out. And here's where I was starting to sweat a little bit because the day that she moved out, I didn't have anybody else lined up to move into the apartment. And so I really started getting nervous about this. Because now I'm going to start seeing vacancy. Now on Furnish Finder, you always have the listing out there and the availability date. 
and nobody had inquired. And so when I said, hey, I got at least in within 48 hours of me first posting it, I think that was a total fluke. Okay, now the listing has been live and people could have booked it while my last tenant was there, but nobody did. So I got really, really nervous. And then probably maybe about two weeks before she did move out, I put it up on Airbnb long term. So I didn't always have it out on Airbnb. And it was the day that she moved out. I had a guy that inquired that said, hey, I'm interested in this unit. I can move in tomorrow. And I'm going to stay for the next three months. Now, that was just a saving grace almost because she moved out that day and he moved in the next day. And I didn't hear of him until the last second. So I, I want to basically kind of set the precedent here that I... And as I talk to other people that, that do midterm rentals, it seems like that type of clientele, the people that are going to be staying there for these you know, longer leases, not quite one year, but they don't necessarily always have something lined up months in advance. They need to find something this week or today or tonight or tomorrow, and they're going to sign it. So I'm thinking that is really the space of the midterm rental is that you got to get more comfortable with, hey, as you get, as you approach your last few days of your tenant moving out, you may not get another inquiry until really the day of or a couple of days before. So that's a big adjustment for me just to get comfortable with considering my other long-term rentals. We've got 60-day notice. I, you know, My tenants are required to give me a 60-day notice on if they're going to move out. And so if they do decide that they're going to move out, then I can go through the process of putting their unit up for rent on the market and just kind of preparing for that transition to happen and show the unit and then get a new tenant in place so we can basically have zero vacancy when the first tenant moves out and the next tenant moves in. That's that's the, my experience with the midterm rental so far. So I didn't even tell you about the monetary side of this. If you remember, I said that we were getting 1600 on a long-term rent on the uh, garden apartment. And that now boosted up to 2500 bucks a month doing the midterm space. So has it been worth it? Yes, in my opinion, it has been worth it. And I'm going to continue to keep that unit as a midterm rental. As we get a full year under my belt, I'll have five months by the time this this next tenant moves out. But as we get a full year under my belt, I may end up deciding converting another one of the units into a midterm space just to see how it goes. And so it, it gives you really, you know, this thought process of, hey, if I can't get cash flow right now by purchasing something, what can I do to my current portfolio to maximize it and to maybe take a little bit, little bit of risk, but to see a bigger reward? And so you could do this from a mix of short-term, mid-term, long-term type rentals within your property. Now, you have to understand the different rules and regulations that go into it. For example, in Chicago, you can't have a two to four unit that you do not own or occupy and convert one of those units into a short-term rental. First off, if you're going to get a short-term rental in one of your properties, you do need a license for it. And the license is only good for owner-occupied buildings. And the license is only good for owner-occupied units. So if you live on the third floor of your four-unit building, you can only have the license for that third floor of that unit. The moment that you move out of that property, okay, if you did not apply for the license, you really won't be eligible for it. 
So I think the trick here is, guys, is that when you house hack into a property, you need to apply for the license and get it, apply it for the unit that you live in, and then you decide if you're going to use that license to make it into a short-term rental. If So for my case, for my case, I, I don't have the license for that property, and we moved out before I did apply for it, but we could we could midterm rental any one of those units. There is no license requirement. And so that is kind of a, a cool thing that seems to be working out in my case for this property, for example. And the midterm rental is allowing me to increase the amount of revenue that that building is generating and ultimately increase my cash flow. And so that's what we're, what, what we're seeking, especially when we're in an environment of how do we continue to build more monthly passive income through buying rental properties if you can't buy them right now because the deals don't work, think about your current portfolio. How can you reposition one of those units to increase your cash flow so that you are progressing no matter what the market is doing? So really cool stuff there. I'm excited to actually take this whole philosophy into some of the other properties that we own. Again, we own 14 units, a mixture of like five properties and repositioning them into these shorter term leases, I think is a really smart thing for investors to be thinking about. So thanks for tuning in today. If you found any value in today's show, please share it. I know that there's a ton of questions about the midterm rental space, and I'm happy to share my experience. Also, just to add on to the end of this, from when I first started recording this episode, I actually did get an update on the most recent tenant that I have in there right now. He actually requested to stay another two more months. And so now, instead of moving out at the end of December, now he's going to be moving out at the end of February. So, oh, and coincidentally, I need to share this with you, because coincidentally, when he had requested that he wanted to extend his uh, his stay, I actually got a Airbnb inquiry from another traveling nurse uh, that was looking to go to Lutheran General Hospital that's in Park Ridge. So it was about a 20-minute drive, typically with, you know, with standard traffic. And unfortunately, I checked with the current ge- the current guest, and he did say that he did want to extend uh, longer. So I did have to decline her. But it's good to see that this situation wasn't necessarily a last minute booking, and that I did start to see another inquiry that came through. And this one was through Airbnb, right? So I think it's a really important that you got to have at least you know an Airbnb listing and a, and a furnished finder listing, and that way you have maximum exposure. You know, some other tips and tricks that I've heard of other people talking about is is getting in touch with insurance people that work with misplaced you know, misplaced folks from fires or water damage or whatnot, uh, you know, out of their homes. I've actually had a couple of rental deals with those types of clients before. Never had anything personally that I could offer to put them in, but uh, this would also be a good opportunity to start building that network. And, and potentially, if you do have, you know, a contact with an insurance person that they, you know, you might be able to solve their problems and help them out. So thanks again. If you found any value in the show, please share it. I think that this is a growing space. Midterm rentals is a, a tactic that a lot of people are really starting to explore because they don't necessarily like the regulations that come with the short-term stuff, short-term rentals. I mean, literally, you could go to any city and uh, you know the regulations on the short-term rentals could just be turned off at in an instant. Uh, and I think we saw that in New York, and I think we're starting to see that we saw that in Chicago with the new licensing standards and in certain things. And so the red tape is really something that 
I think a lot of short-term rental investors have a hard time with. And this is the perfect opportunity to kind of increase the cash flow, take on a little bit more risk and avoid more of the red tape regulations. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Investing Podcast. We hope that you walk away from this episode with something of value, whether you learned something new, felt inspired, or it helped spur a new idea. We are all in this game of life together, and sometimes all it takes is hearing the stories and strategies of others that are out there doing it to help inspire you to take action towards becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for listening. Please share the show, and we'll catch you on the next episode.